to All About the Sisters Wellness Podcast, where we help you reclaim your overall health and wellness. Get informed, take action, and be better at being well. I'm Melanie Painter, founder of All About the Sisters and your host. Since I started having my period at age 11, I don't remember having a conflict-free month since. Throughout my pubescent years, I dealt with really bad PMS, pain, and discomfort. Actually, that's when it started, because I still have that today. I grew to believe that this was my normal. My mother also dealt with some of it, although by the time she had me, she was well on her way to being premenopausal, which brought on its own set of issues. I developed uterine fibroids somewhere along the way and had a myometomy back in 2008 to remove what I thought were three fibroids. It turned out to be 16. Yep. Still, no doctor ever spoke to me seriously about my hormone development the relationships between diet, hormones, and stress. Nothing about how my body operates and how to prevent certain diseases, except the usual, eat lots of veggies, exercise, get enough sleep. I wanted to know what things I could do to prevent the regrowth of my fibroids. So I researched raw diet changes, going off the grid, and I read a multitude of testimonials from other black women who had tried different things once they had their fibroids removed. Many of them had had hysterectomies, which is still a popular recommendation for preventing fibroids entirely. It's horrendous. Uterine fibroids have a disproportionate impact on African-American women, 80 to 90% according to the USA Fibroid Centers. Not only are black women more prone to getting fibroids, but they they also experience different or additional symptoms of uterine fibroids compared to women of other races. They may often suffer from severe symptoms, and around 40% of black women with fibroids frequently report painful menstruation and cramps. Fibroid symptoms also cause black women to be three times higher for the risk of anemia and can affect fertility. This is why I wanted to talk to Dr. Siobhan Jackson-Michelle, because she's an expert in hormone health and fertility. She shares some information I am sure you've never been told by your doctor. And although this conversation is not entirely about fibroids, it is about women's health in general, hormones, premature delivery, stress, and diet. Women's health is holistic and integrated, and we should start treating it as such. Woman, yes, you, I'm talking to you. You have options for great health, so stay woke. Our guest today is Dr. Siobhan Jackson-Michelle, a licensed naturopathic doctor who brings more than a decade of influence as a natural health authority. Dr. Siobhan delivers personalized wellness care to women struggling with hormonal and metabolic concerns and couples looking for integrative natural fertility options. She also focuses on sustainable self-care and working on the development of online courses that teach wellness fundamentals that help people take greater initiative in their healthcare journey. So welcome, Siobhan, to the All About the Sisters Wellness podcast. It's been so long in coming, and I'm very, very excited to have you on today. We're going to chat a lot about fertility. We're going to break down some hormone health and immunity health and stress and all of the above. So welcome. Okay. So in May, I had the opportunity to hear you speak during the three-part discussion on how to stay healthy during the new normal series. Yes. Uh, you spoke about 
a range of topics. Uh, we got into hormone health, immunity health, fertility, stress. Can you break down in a really simple way for women out there how all of these are interconnected? Sure. Um, you know, that was a great series. It was awesome to kind of come on with um, the ladies for three weeks straight. And uh, in that series, we kind of broke everything down. You know, week by week, we had a kind of a separate topic, but we intertwined them. And so if I could put it into a nutshell, I would say that, um, you know, hormone health, uh, as, I, as I previously mentioned, you know, we think reproductive uh, system, we think reproductive tract and reproductive organs the ovaries, the uterus, you know, the cervix, the vagina. Um, but actually what controls that system is nowhere near the actual organs themselves. It's, it's, it's higher up. It's in the brain. Um, it's the hypothalamus and pituitary uh, organs. And so uh, we call the axis that relates to uh, the ovaries and the reproductive system, the HPO axis, hypothalamus, pituitary, ovarian axis. Um, there's another axis that we talk about that's actually outside of those reproductive organs. Um, and it also is influenced by the brain, those same areas, H and P. Um, we call this the HPA axis, hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal. Um, and there's kind of like a fourth one if you kind of throw adrenal and ovaries together. So you can see that Outside of just those reproductive organs where we, we think the hormones are being produced and we're getting control over our cycles and our menses and, you know, the different uh, conditions and things that we deal with, you can see it's actually way bigger than that local area. And so when we talk about stress, for instance, you know, stress is one of the reasons that uh, common reasons that you actually see disruptions in uh, fertility, for instance. Um, you know, sometimes when we're under significant stress, it could be psychological stress, it could be physical stress. Uh, even people who are, you know, um, what do they call them, like weekend warriors or, you know, that do really intense exercise. Um, this is kind of a physical stress. And you can see uh, people who are super fit in very low body fat. Uh, have um, issues with fertility or hormone health because their bodies are under stress. It's physical activity um, that may be slightly extreme. Um, you can also see uh, when it comes to um, just what we call oxidative stress, and this is where kind of the immune system gets involved. Oxidative stress goes really hand in hand with inflammation. Um, and uh, the immune system is what coordinates uh, those you know, I would say signals, inflammatory signals. And so when you have a lot of oxidative stress, uh, oxidative stress can come from the outside, meaning like the foods that we eat, um, you know, meaning lack of certain nutrients. Uh, when we are consuming things that are, you know, fried, uh, consuming things that are very processed, um, consuming things that are you know, high in sugar, um, these actually create a lot of oxidative stress in the body. And that oxidative stress kind of, as I said, goes hand in hand with inflammation and it activates the immune system. And that can have a impact on um, reproduction, on reproductive hormones, um, you know, your uh, estrogen, progesterone, 
um, testosterone even, and the conditions that derive from those imbalances. Okay. What preventative care or methods, at the very least, should women be engaging in for just general health and well-being? For general health, okay. So for just general health, I would say, you know, the foundations of um, health in general, uh, we're not talking specifically about women's health, but the foundations for health in general, which have a lot of overlap into any specific area of the body that you want to take it, uh, is diet, um, you know, is um, just lifestyle things. Those are the things that we actually have a lot of control over. Um, you know, one of the things that I do a lot in women's health is talk about uh, the environment. And oftentimes, you know, the environment is out of our control, the bigger environment. When we think about the air we breathe, when we think about, you know, um, you know, sometimes even the water we drink, we have limited control over these things. But we have a lot of control over what we put in our mouth, um, you know, give or take, right? We have a lot of control over um, some of the habits that we have, um, you know, for people that consume, you know, significant caffeine or overindulge in alcohol or nicotine. Um, these are all things that also kind of throw off imbalances. They still nutrients. So if I had to kind of sum it up, I would say lifestyle, basic uh, lifestyle changes are some of the things that could be beneficial for overall health. So that means, you know, having a diet that has, you know, ideally I tell people to shoot for nine to 11 fruits and vegetables a day. That sounds crazy. Really? That's like that's all, that's all the fruits and vegetables. That's pretty much all the fruits and vegetables. And you know, <laughs> one of the ways that I tell people to do that, or at least to think about it is like, I call it like designing your plate. If I had to kind of give like a, a simple thing, I say half of your plate should be vegetables. And then if you wanted to, you know, if you were someone who consumed meat, you have a quarter of your plate as meat. And then maybe you have, depending, depending on, you know, your body, uh, your family history, you know, people who have blood sugar issues, maybe, maybe not, but maybe you have some complex carbohydrates as the other quarter of your plate. Um, I tell my children when, you know, we eat dinner, eat your vegetables first, right? Because they are fibrous and they fill you up and then actually you can't eat the other stuff as much, you know, but when you eat, you go straight in for the meat or straight in for the carbs. Uh, usually the vegetables are cold. They taste terrible at that point. You don't want them. Um, and, and now you don't have room for them either. So you kind of, kind of reverse engineer it, right. And you trick your body, um, in a way and you actually will get full. It causes you to chew. It causes you to release, you know, enzymes and things of that nature. So, um, diet is one of the best ways. And if you force yourself to eat more fruits and vegetables, you actually eat less of the other things, which have a ripple effect because you won't have the same kind of things coming in your body at the same ratios that you started with. You just kind of flip the script in a way. Um, and then movement. People, we, we, you know, movement is so key. Um, you know, I'm so happy now when I'm out at the parks and stuff. I mean, maybe it's the same people that were in the gym before that you see at the parks, but you just see, it's nice to see people out, you know, moving, walking, um, being active. And it's so important. It's really important for reproductive health. I was just with a client this morning. We were talking about moving and how, you know, some of the disorders in women's health 
like fibroids, endometriosis, these things in Chinese medicine, they are considered um, disorders of stagnant blood. Okay. It means like stagnancy. It means just stuff being stuck. It means nutrients not getting in, oxygen not getting in, and toxins just hanging out, causing, you know, craziness. So I would say that, you know, movement, um, secondary to your nutrition, um, is very important. And if I had to throw a last one in there, it would be sleep. Um, a lot of people have terrible sleep hygiene. Uh, sleep hygiene means like, what are you doing to get yourself ready for that? You know, what are you doing? What kind of environment are you actually sleeping in? Um, you know, I personally grew up sleeping with a TV on every single night of my life that I can remember until I went to college. It was just how we did it in my house. And I didn't know that it was like kind of abnormal until I had a college roommate that was just like, hey, I cannot sleep with that or And we had to find a happy medium at a radio because I couldn't sleep in silence. So, um, but now, we, I, you know, my children don't have TVs in their bedroom and my husband and I, we, not because we don't want it or we can't, but we don't have TVs in our bedroom. So, um, you know, you don't need those things around. And when you have them around, it's tempting. You leave it on, you watch your show, you fall asleep to your show, right? And then the TV's going all night. So all of those things limit how effective your sleep can be. So sleep hygiene is important. A dark, quiet room, you have a regimen, you know, when you're going to bed at night, um, you know, you do something the same way. Like, you, you know, you brush your teeth, you wash your face, you get in the bed, you read a book. Like your body gets used to what it needs to fall asleep. Right. It might, might be different for everybody else, but whatever that is. And, and turn off the phones. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I do that also, right? You're the last thing that you, the last thing that falls on the floor, <laughs> the last thing falling on the floor, you kind of wake up to your phone falling on, off the bed or something. Right. But that also impairs our sleep. We actually need to, to stop being with electronic devices at an hour before you intend to go to bed an hour. It takes that much. That blue light that you're seeing affects your sleep. Mm. So I can testify to all of these things that you're saying at, at, at very recently. So mm-hmm. with my fruits and vegetables, I've actually started eating the vegetables first. And I realized that by the time I get three quarter way through, I'm full. And I have eat, I've started eating less in the day. So I used to have maybe six meals. Mm-hmm. Now I'm having three. And I have longer periods where I don't want anything to eat except water. And I'm like, wow, this is, I have always eaten vegetables, but I have never made the point of eating them first on my plate. So I've been trying that in the last couple of weeks and mm-hmm. it's been working out really, really well for me. The yeah. movement, I'm actually seeing a doctor over here and um, I had to go because my fibroids grew like grapefruit size during the last three months. It was like, I couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden, I'm just, I just have this huge lump and I'm like, what is this? And because of inactivity, and I was like, this can happen in three months. This is crazy. Our bodies are, so I'm learning my body from scratch again. I'm learning what I need to keep doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. given COVID, we we barely were able to move and I was just given into the time, but it clearly Mm -hmm. didn't work for me. So I started riding again. Yes. Some jump ropes, you know, ever so often, but making sure I get movement, however I can get it every day, because I don't know what the next move is for me in these fibroids, but 
clearly something has gone wrong in the last three months, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's so good to hear you actually say that because, you know, sometimes people think that these are like, you know, too simple, too, you know, basic, that they're not going to make a difference. And they really, they're so simple and they're so practical. It's like what you already are doing. Mm-hmm. And to hear you say that, you know, you already noticed an impact of just switching the order in which you eat your food. You know, it's, it's, it's so simple, but at the same time, it's really uh, very deep in a way. Right. And I think sometimes people think that they have to go out and spend a bunch of money. And it's not even that. It's just making very slight changes, like you say, right where you are at home. Yeah, um, that's right. Maybe yeah. in, in the choice of stuff that you buy versus, you know, and then how you eat. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that little wisdom. Um, and then that sleep thing, I fall asleep with my phone all the time because I feel like I have to have company. But then it takes me longer. And then when I get up, it's the first thing that I pick up and I have to make a point to put the phone away so I will actually have to get out of the bed to go get it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. all these little things. Yeah, I mean, uh, that one I definitely say that I struggle. I definitely struggle. I, I try, I'm pretty good at night, um, but I still tend to grab the phone first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. I still grab it. And then I, I kind of like talk myself like, Siobhan, you know, you haven't even done like your whole practice. You haven't prayed. I, I don't even know if I go to the bathroom before I do that. It's just right. like, oh. <laughs> it becomes, it becomes part of your life. So automatic, you know, Yeah, yeah. so automatic. Yeah. So I want to ask a question. I've been uh, listening to just various people on the internet talk about hormones. And I'm curious, do women have like different types of hormones? And if yes, what are the types really? Like, I'm going to say what I've heard is that there are types, like type one, type two. Are those Hmm. designations or? Honestly, I have not. um, I don't perceive hormones in that way and I can't say that there's a like clinical designation of a hormone picture in that way you know like um clinical meaning you know like a diagnostic um way to categorize hormones like that um tell me a little bit more about what you heard so that I can have a little more context okay so specific to me I did a quiz there was a quiz about figuring out what your hormone type was and I was curious and I did it Mm -hmm. and it came up to be type two which I guess whoever was had administered the quiz put it under over I think I overproduce estrogen oh okay so yeah so there could be all right I understand where you're going so this is more like a functional type um functional types are what you are, you know, based off of your symptoms, based off of what you're dealing with, um, you know, you've already shared that fibroids is something that you, you deal with. Um, you know, fibroids like ovarian cysts and endometriosis, these are estrogen dominant conditions. So you could be categorized as a person who either overproduces estrogen or uh, over metabolizes estrogen. So I don't necessarily think of it as I'm under metabolizes estrogen. I don't really think of it as a person who overproduces. I, I think that's a, it's not a watered down. It's a simplified way of looking at it. A lot of estrogens come in from our environment. Um, and this is something that a lot of people have 
very little awareness. I think more awareness is coming out about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of estrogens coming through our environment. Um, these are uh, estrogens in the form of what we call endocrine disruptors. They are in the form of uh, plastics and, you know, uh, for instance, I'll, I'll give you a couple of categories. You know, everybody's heard of BPA, uh, BPA mm-hmm. right? You, you've heard of it in relationship to most often uh, baby accessories and baby products and stuff like that. Um, and there was a huge push. I know when I had my son almost 10 years ago, I was like, be, you know, BP free, BPA free, everything. It was like one of the earlier times that people started talking about it. Well, this is something that it's a plastic or, uh, you know, derived from kind of plastic manufacturing or industry or whatever, but it is the structure of it looks so much like estrogen that it can dock on the receptors uh, in your uh, on your organs. And so it can stimulate your organs the same way estrogen does. Um, and when that uh, these exogenous, exogenous mean, meaning outside of our body, we're not producing them, these exogenous hormones, they can have kind of two different reactions depending on the person. They can dock and stimulate. And if they're at very high levels, they can dock and then they can actually uh, dumb down those receptors, meaning that um, they won't work the same. And you actually require more stimulation coming from the brain. And it leads to a whole chain of events. So one of the things that I, I talk to people about is not so much that you're overproducing estrogen. Okay, There are categories of women who... Um, are susceptible, for instance, African-American women, African women, uh, pretty much women of color um, of all types, tend to be, have a higher rate of fibroids and tend to be more susceptible to fibroids. There's something genetically, we believe, that has to do with either the way we metabolize hormones, break them down and get them out of our body, or the way that our receptors on a genetic level are sensitive to estrogen, meaning it could be the same amount of estrogen around for, you know, this Caucasian woman and the same estrogen around for this black woman, um, you know, if everything was equal, but this woman who has a predisposition to fibroids will take that same amount of estrogen and it will be more stimulating in her case. And as it's more stimulating, Fibroids are just the outgrowth of that uterine tissue, right? They are growing a much quicker rate. Um, And so you will get fibroids over here and you won't get fibroids in this Caucasian woman, right? I'm just, again, all things being equal and generalizing. So you can have a situation where there's more susceptibility. Mm -hmm. That part you can't really do much with, right? So if we sit on the genetics and say, hey, well, you know, I'm a black woman, I'm more likely to get fibroids, and I just stay there, then you don't do much with that. You just say, okay, well, eventually I need surgery or I need a hysterectomy. Now, what we can do to kind of try to create balance there is we figure out what other sources of estrogen are coming into our environment um, and into our bodies from our environment. And how do we mitigate that? How do we minimize that? Um, and if we can figure that out, BPA, one of them, uh, phthalates is another group, um, where, you know, this comes in, in our personal care items, you know, uh, a lot of personal care items have a lot of synthetic ingredients. You don't even, you know, you don't even know what they are. You can't even read them. Um, 
oftentimes those things are very stimulating because they look just like estrogen. So you're not necessarily overproducing if you if you're following me, Mel. Yes. Um, it's more like there's more of these things kind of hanging around. So I don't necessarily think that there's a type. I think okay. there's susceptibility and I think there's environment. And I also think that there's issues sometimes with uh, us under different circumstances. So if you're dealing with a lot of stress, for instance, then estrogen can look very large compared to maybe progesterone, which is the balancing hormone. Because the same precursor that deals with progesterone deals with your stress hormones. So if your body is kind of moving, trying to deal with stress, it doesn't really care so much about fertility, right? doesn't really care so much about these reproductive organs. You know, you're trying to trying to get out of stress. So again, I don't really think there's a type. I think there are people who might fall into different baskets depending on where they are in their life and what their susceptibility is. But I also think that there's a lot that we can do when we understand what kind of puts you into those different groupings, if you will. Is it stress? Okay, let's deal with the stress. Is it a lot of exogenous things? Okay, let's deal with what's coming in the body. Is it your liver? Uh, you know, are you having too many other things that your liver is trying to process like alcohol and other things? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's deal with the liver so it can focus on what it's really supposed to do, like uh, break down hormones. Well, thanks for clearing that up because I was like, I never heard this before and I was really trying to do some research on are there types because I've heard you speak about hormones before, but never as a type, you know, different mm-hmm. types of it. So thanks it's for a cool that. way. It's a cool way to simplify, but I think it's a simplified, like, you know, Yes. simplified way to help people understand. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. So premature yes. delivery is a crisis among women in the Black community. And in 2015, the preterm birth rate in Black women was 13%, whereas for white women, it was 9%. Mm-hmm. Can you say why this is so? Okay. Um, I think there's quite a number of things. So one of the conditions that we talked about today, which is fibroids, we've, we've kind of sat there a little bit, um, you know, fibroids tend, like I said, I deal with infertility. So fibroids tend to not be um, the biggest causative factor behind fertility issues. But fibroids can be a much bigger concern when it comes to miscarriage. And uh, miscarriage really kind of falls into three big areas, if you think about it. Like we use the term miscarriage when we're talking about early pregnancy, but miscarriage really goes, you know, to the end of the third trimester and so delivery, right? So miscarriage in the early stage, up to four weeks before you even know you're pregnant, um, you know, you can have an issue with hormone imbalances. Remember, uh, you can still get pregnant having fibroids. It doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that you can't get pregnant, but you can get pregnant and the fact that the hormones are so still unbalanced, estrogen being more dominant and maybe progesterone being less than what it should be, not optimal, that could potentially lead to a miscarriage early on because the hormones are not doing what they're supposed to do. Maybe there's not enough progesterone, you know, to get you to the next step. There could be issues, you know, in between there, like up to 10 weeks. And that could be for other reasons. Maybe it has to do where, you know, the inside the uterus where things are going wrong. But fibroids, when it comes to premature delivery, that is one of the highest risks associated with uh, fibroids is in the later term of the pregnancy. Uh, As the baby grows, uh, that growth um, 
is also, I would say, um, you know, promoted by hormones, right? So estrogen, progesterone is still being made throughout the entire pregnancy. And as the baby grows, the fibroids grow. Even if they were little, 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 tiny, you know, the size of peas at the beginning of the pregnancy, at the end of the pregnancy, they're always bigger. So imagine you started with, you know, plums <laughs> at the beginning of pregnancy. By the time you're done, you could have, you know, cantaloupes, right? And then you have an issue with the baby moving into the proper direction to move down the birth canal, which leads to a higher rate of C-sections. You can have an issue with the placenta not doing what it's supposed to do, uh, coming out before it's supposed to come out, coming off of the uterine wall before it's supposed to. Fibroids also take up a lot of or change the blood supply. They require a lot of blood, a lot of nutrients. That's how they grow. And so they can thwart the blood from other areas or collect and, and kind of you know amass blood in certain areas. And so they also tend to increase the risk of hemorrhage uh, postpartum or in the early part. Um, so that's one condition that really can have a lot of issues at the end of a pregnancy. So dealing with, like, remember we talked about underlying cause. So dealing with some of those things early on, knowing that this is what your predisposing factors are, knowing that there's a lot that can be done with your environment, you know, with your diet things like that are important. Um, high blood pressure, you know, high blood pressure could also be an issue going into pregnancy um, that could lead to some very dramatic changes that can make the body go into shock towards the end of pregnancy. We call that eclampsia. Um, and so again, these kind of underlying things that may be asymptomatic or they may not be bothering you really early on can create problems later on if they're not dealt with um, and if, if they're not somewhat controlled. Um, I also think, you know, we have to kind of speak to the fact that uh, even, you know, I, I, I will talk about the book later, but, you know, in this book that I contributed to, one of the areas that I, I did some research in as it pertains to women's health is like, if you control for all of these things, so there's a lot of things that they look into in terms of the research to understand why there's this disparity, right? Where we're less than 30, what are we now? 30 something percent of the population, but we have higher, way higher risk, you know, um, of, of, like you said, um, you know, preterm birth rate and things like that. So if you control for everything, if you control for age, uh, if you control for socioeconomic status, right? So the, how much the household income and education. Um, if you control even for pre-existing conditions, right? So women who are healthy, they don't have fibroids, they don't have high blood pressure. Um, they're not overweight. Obesity is another big issue with relationship to preterm uh, birth. Um, so you control for all of these things. They're normalized. Why do black black women still have higher rates of um, preterm and postpartum uh, com uh, com uh, complications and death? And so, one of the things that some of the research has started to look at has to do with some small things that we don't talk about: stress. 
um, how big of a role stress is um, and how stress is kind of like this underlying thing that, you know, we say, oh, I'm stressed out, but we don't really understand the impact that stress has on the body. So that's one thing that they were able to tease out of the research. The other thing is that sometimes we are not heard um, or um, when we communicate that something is wrong or that we think something is going wrong, sometimes it's minimized in, say, the hospital setting. Um, You know, the attention that whatever you're feeling at this stage of, say, giving birth or, you know, preterm, uh, pre-labor, that sometimes they're overlooked and they're minimized. And, you know, having an advocate is like super important, especially an advocate that kind of knows even a little bit about medicine or a hospital setting, you know, is very important because, um, and and I'll actually give like a little bit of a personal story. Uh, My best friend actually just recently uh, gave birth and um, she had been complaining about something in the hospital that was minimized. You know, it wasn't ignored because they, they, they did treat, they did give her treatment. They gave her some pain medication, but multiple times she said it wasn't pain, you know, it's not pain. She had a C-section. It's not, you know, it's, it's not the incision. Um, I'm not in pain. Like I have this symptom, like in my neck or whatever she was complaining about, but they didn't really go into the detail to really try to understand what was going on. Anyway, all of her basic, I guess, vitals, whatever they needed to check for her to be discharged were normal. She was discharged. And I spoke to her the day after she uh, arrived home and still she's complaining about like this same symptom. And now she has more, her, 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 um, her hearing, she's hearing like this ringing in her ears that she's never had before. Hitus, is that what it is? Yeah, tinnitus, exactly, tinnitus, yep. She's hearing this ringing in her ears and she's kind of like, um, you know, just feeling like super lethargic. Anyway, she has a few symptoms. So I'm just kind of, I know her very well. I've known her my whole life and she really doesn't sound like herself. You know, of course she just gave birth. You put all that in context, but she doesn't sound like herself. So I, I asked a couple questions, asked a couple questions, told, you know, someone who was there with her to check her blood pressure, check her, uh, her temperature, check, um, you know, something else that was going on, you know, like vital wise, everything was normal. So I was like, you know what? I don't really know. So I, I called her back. I was like, Hey, you know, you had an epidural, right? You know, maybe there's something off with the fluid. Right. And so you should call, you know, call your doctor back. Well, long story short, she did. She had to be readmitted. All okay? right. Readmitted to fix this thing, which is a fluid imbalance that they believe happened secondary to the, um, the, um, what do you call it? Um, epidural. But the crazy part of it is she was complaining about the thing all along. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like she, this was not a new complaint when she arrived home. It was the same complaint. Sounds like she's okay. Thank God she's okay. Yes. Thank God she's okay. Right. But on top of that, can you imagine she's very self-aware. She knows herself. She knew something was off. Right. And she kept talking about it, even though at the hospital, perhaps, you know, they didn't understand or they didn't go deep enough, whatever that is. I knew her and I have an awareness of health. Right. And so 
I, I was able to help her kind of piece together and, and, and kind of be an advocate for her outside of the hospital, right? And tell her, hey, call back and this is not okay. And so sometimes you have to understand that, you know, I think the research shows it. I mean, I can be straight up that sometimes we are not heard. And when you equalize for everything, um, there are certain kinds of um, uh, assumptions that are made uh, by some of the hospital personnel uh, about women, Black women in particular. Um, and then this is not everywhere. I had great, uh, you know, situations with my children and their childbirths. I had great, you know, midwives and nurses. I mean, I have a great story to tell, but you know, there are some women who can't even tell their story because they're no longer here. So I, I think it's very important to understand there's a lot that we can do if we know that we're going into pregnancy with a uh, pre-existing condition. Do not take it lightly, okay? Pregnancy is a stress. You're creating a whole new human in your body, okay? Right. It's, it, this, is a, this is like a, a process that, you know, we can't even figure out how to do. Uh, you know, with all of what we're able to do with technology. We haven't figured this out yet. So imagine your body has the intelligence to create an entire person. So don't take that lightly and don't go into it knowing that there are things that could potentially set you up. And then at the other side of it, make sure you have an advocate. Know yourself, you know, and when things are not right, you speak up until someone hears you. Mm, Thank you so much for that, Siobhan, because I know a lot of people that are listening, this is probably going to help them. I, I don't think we think of these things when we, we figure we can do everything on our own and we trust our doctors completely. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but also you, sh- you should know when you don't feel right and That's speak right. Up about it and keep speaking up until you get the help that you need. Yep. So, and so you've, you continue to be a champion for um, women's health and health in general. Um, and you recently wrote a best-selling book. Congrats on that. The Thank Black you. Family Healthopedia, the first that. holistic health resource for Black families. Tell us a little bit about it and where we can get a copy of it. Sure. So um, this book is a uh, collaborative effort. Myself um, as a naturopathic doctor and three other naturopathic doctors, mm-hmm. um, we wrote this book last year in 2019. Um, You know, we released it uh, around Black Friday of last year, so November. Um, The book itself is kind of a, think about it as a compendium. Like we talk about a lot of different things that affect the African-American community or, you know, Black family, essentially. Um, And so African-American, you know, um, Caribbean-American, whatever. So what we're talking about in this book is some chronic health conditions. We're talking about uh, diabetes. We're talking about hypertension. Um, I wrote the chapter on women's health. Um, we talk about, you know, as naturopathic doctor, I mentioned that our tools are, you know, our, our natural therapeutics. So I wrote the chapter on being a good or a wise dietary uh, supplement consumer. Uh, what you need to know, you know, when you're buying supplements, you don't just grab anything off the shelf. You should be looking for certain things um, if you're not being, you know, seen or overseen by a naturopathic doctor or, you know, some other professional. Um, we talk about mental health. We talk about having a tribe, right? What, the, what that means in terms of support. We just talked about this idea of having an advocate. You know, what does a tribe mean? And, and, and this word tribe, you know, this is something that is very culturally close to us. I mean, you know, 
my you know brothers and sisters who are first generation from Africa, but even us who have been in the Americas on the Caribbean for many years, you know, or many generations, this idea of a tribe, um, I think that is a cultural thing for us. And so what does it mean to have a tribe? And what does that mean in terms of the support uh, that you have uh, with these people in the group? Um, and how can they, you know, play a part in your health? Um, we also talk about, I think, what else is in there? mental health, diabetes, hypertension, women's health. Um, I think those are the main chapters. I might be forgetting one. Um, but yeah, so each chapter, we break it down talking about statistics. That's the first thing, right? We kind of give you the lay of the land, um, talking about, you know, how there is greater predisposition in the Black community for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, then we move from that to talking a little bit about the pathology of the condition, you know, like how does it manifest? Why does it manifest this way? Uh, you know, of course, as naturopathic doctors, we're talking about the root cause. So we go into, you know, what root cause elements could be there, what, you know, science is saying about uh, causative uh, points that you want to look into. Um, we give some self-care, um, you know, techniques or self-care uh, suggestions, recommendations, um, how you can get started with working towards, you know, bringing balance to that condition or, you know, um, improving your overall health in that regard. Uh, we talk about what a naturopathic doctor would do beyond some of these like self-care things. And we also, uh, most of the chapters have like a case study or two where we talk about how we have applied um, naturopathic approach to this kind of um, condition, whatever, you know, that chapter is about. Um, so that's the book. Um, you can find actually the book on my website, which is Dr. Siobhan, S-H-A-V-O-N, N as in Nancy, D as in dog, dot com. And you can find the book there. Okay. And also, Dr. Siobhan just gave us her website and that's where you can find her if you're interested in talking about your own health um she's extremely helpful in that area so please contact her if you have an issue but uh siobhan this was really 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 good thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and um you know let's just keep moving helping whoever we can help out there as the information gets out We'll be saving a life or two. That's how I think about it. So Yes, I, I love the mission, uh, uh, Mel. And, you know, I, it's been a while, actually. We, we were supposed to do this some time ago. <laughs> so, I know. <laughs> I'm so happy. Uh, you know, the timing is right. If we're doing it now, that's when it's supposed to be done. So um, I know that you put a lot of things out in your community, um, Mel. And so I just want to um, let women know that I am launching again, with a cohort of other like fertility um, uh, specialists, integrative and natural medicine fertility specialists. We're launching a, what we call fertility school. Okay. Um, it's, it's uh, I think there's 11 of us together who are um, going over different aspects of fertility and, you know, a natural or integrative approach and kind of the things that you should be looking out for. Um, it's a free uh, school. So you'll see me start posting stuff about it today. Um, and it's going to start, it's going to launch on Monday. So it'll be, I think over the course of eight or 10 days that we'll be releasing, uh, you know, different freebies, um, 
a bunch of uh, video posts. It's, you know, like an official course platform, but it's 100% free. So thanks for having me, Mel. No problem. Thank you so much, Siobhan. I'm Melanie Painter, and I thank you for listening. For more about All About the Sisters, please go to www.allaboutthesisters.com or check us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Want to know more about our guests? Check the description of this episode down below.